Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, folks. I'm Amy Wright, and my guest today is acclaimed filmmaker, composer, producer, and all-around creative, Chris Garrow. Chris is a mover and a shaker. He's a 12-time Emmy winner and a Grammy-nominated record producer. Today, we'll get started by digging into his background, which points back to Paris, Ontario, Canada, and we'll work our way up to the present, which is focused on his new music documentary, The Sound of Us. It's an outstanding film, and it features many notable names, including Avery Sunshine, Ben Folds, Betty Lovett, Grace Kelly, Mercy Bell, Patti Smith, the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, Sarah McLaughlin, and many others. The Sound of Us illustrates music's universal, unstoppable ability to unite and inspire, and I can't recommend it enough. Let's hear from the filmmaker himself, and thanks once again for tuning in to Insights. Chris, welcome to Diddy TV. Thanks for joining us to talk about Sound of Us. We're excited to have you on Insights today. Want to hear a little bit more about you, but also talk about this absolutely spectacular, beautiful film that you've produced. And um, it's so insightful. It was very touching. I watched the whole of it last night before uh, talking to you. And um, of course, had a few questions about you as well, because I was wondering how you sort of got to this point. Where did you grow up, actually? I uh, grew up um, in a little town called Paris, Ontario, which is about 70 miles kind of a little bit southwest of Toronto. I was born in Toronto, but uh, we moved to a very small little town and uh, I grew up in a very um, you know, kind of rough and tumble time and place. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I ultimately at some point in time became uh hooked on uh on what music was and and i had a lot of influence around me my two older brothers uh were were musicians and and um and so i had a lot of uh, influence given my way uh in so many different types of um types of music um as well as my father had an entirely different uh love and appreciation of all kinds of different types of music so i was, was i was pretty grounded um growing up and and um so ultimately that led me to wanting to be a musician i learned taught myself how to play the piano when i was 15 and then uh, and then i you know, kind of ran away to join the circus and and um, started working with other artists and and I was in rooms I had no business being in, but I was just too young to know uh, any better and and ultimately that led me to where I am today. I was looking at everything you've accomplished because it's extraordinary. You're a musician, you're a songwriter, uh, you're a composer, you're a filmmaker. Um, list goes on, and I was wondering. What kind of training you had to sort of get it move from just say playing the piano to scoring and um, some of these other activities and what was that journey like? I had two years of, if you want to call formal training with a jazz pianist. His name was Manfredo Fest. He was a very dear man. He lived in Tampa, Florida, and. Um, 
I asked him not to show me anything, uh, just show me all the stuff, the chops. I don't want to learn anything formally. And uh, he was very kind and accommodated me, uh, you know, in that journey. Um, art is whatever you want to make it. And I, I, I had a really uh, bad habit of never really caring what other people thought about the art that I was making. So I um, kind of blazed my way in, in a whole pile of failure and a whole pile of um, trying and trying and trying and trying. And, you know, uh, when, I, when I first moved to this town, it was a long time ago, about almost 30 years ago now, uh, it was such a small clique of musicians, and it was very guarded and protected. And I remember one guy saying to me, you know, like, because uh, uh, I bought a piano when I, when I first moved in, and the guy goes, I, I don't even really know why you bought one. And this was a professional musician. And I remember saying to him, I said, uh, you know, I, I have just as much to offer in this as you do. Doesn't, you know, because you went to Berkeley doesn't make you any better than me. I, I hate to tell you, that's not how music works. And so, so, you know, I'm a big proponent of what do you have? What do you have to bring to the table? I, it's the same reason why I don't critique other people's work is because who am I um, to do it? I, I have a very humble um, approach to who I am as a musician, who I am as a writer, but um, something must work because, you know, uh, you know, and I, it even sounds silly to even say this, but, you know, I, you know, I, we're recognized, right, for the things that we do, and 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 I'm grateful for that. And I just I just listen to my own my own, you know, my own voice. I don't listen to anybody else. So, in the beginning of this, did you envision yourself being a performer in the music business? Uh, what did you see in your head when you kind of started down the music path? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. I, I guess I had that dream that I wanted to be, you know, a performer. And, and at the time, I thought I was good enough. I, I um, you know, I had a lot of people around me. You know, I went to L.A. and I started, um, I started down the path of being an artist. I had a development deal. And, and I very, very quickly realized just how shy I was and still am. And most people just don't believe that. Uh, um, uh, you know, ask my wife; she'll tell you. I, you know, I don't like going to the grocery store. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just a very, I'm not necessarily an introvert. I use humor to kind of smack everything away. And but, but I, I realized I was just so uncomfortable in in being an artist. So I, you know, I kind of preferred to stay behind the scenes and. I once I started working with people and really taking my ideas and melt, you know, melding them together with other people's ideas, I really kind of felt that's where I wanted to, that's where I wanted to live. I was way more comfortable in telling other people what to do because, you know, I, then I can, you know, then I can use them as guinea pigs for my own, you know, for my own crazy ideas. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how that worked out. Was there a particular music that you like to play more than another type? I know you work with so many different artists and they they kind of span the gamut of, of music, but was there something that you particularly liked to play when you were playing the piano? Yeah, you know, like I, I again I had so many influences growing up. I I 
I the the very uh, I, because I've been doing a lot of interviews, I, I I I've been getting the same question was like what's what's the first piece of music that you bought? Uh, I was in I, I was in uh, the, this little town called Brantford, Ontario, which is right next to Paris, and it's a bigger town. And I was in a Wolco department store, which is a which is a uh, the Canadian version of um, Woolworths, and they had a little uh, record section. And and uh, I was in seventh grade, and um, uh, I had I I had money uh, money I made you know uh, working on a apple farm and I uh, I pulled out three records and uh, and I was going to buy one of them for the very first time. Keep in mind I was sub subjected to all my brother's record collections which I never could touch and you know whatever. So this was my it was a big moment for me and and um, and the first record was Bruce Springsteen Born to Run. The second record was um, ELO Out of the Blue, and the third one was uh, Bob Seger Night Moves and um, and if you know anything about me, uh, um, you'll know that I picked the ELO um, uh, Out of the Blue record. Um, uh, I fell madly in love with uh, uh, Jeff Lynne's music, um, his style of writing, uh, the style of orchestrating, the style of um, 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 choral writing, and, and that carried has to this moment has carried on with me um, in what I would what I would produce. So, you know, first and foremost, I play piano. And even though I, you know, I, I, I took jazz lessons, I kind of stayed in this very, um, again, really kind of this humble idea of what my approach is. So, so, you know, the, my, my, my style is, you know, I, you know, I don't even call myself a musician, you know, other people do and, you know, or a composer or whatever. I just get up and create and whatever happens, you know, in, in the day, whether it's making a film or producing a film or writing a film or, you know, or, or composing a piece of music, I don't really look at any boundaries, uh, you know, in that. So I just, I just like go, okay, this is what I want to do with this now. So, yeah. But I'm working my way to the film, but there's a theatrical component to what you do too. And I know that you have been behind a number of tours and shows and, and that there's a real creative mind in there. And I would imagine that some of that carries over into your filmmaking. Um, what, what sort of tour did you put together that you were, uh, give us an example. I know that you did Elton John's and you did some others, but where you had that theatrical component and then how that might carry over into your filmmaking. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, probably the biggest thing that I was part of um, was uh, Elton John Million Dollar Piano, uh, which was, you know, uh, which was in-house uh, in Vegas for about 10 years. And, um, and the, 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 the concept of larger than life is what I was taught by a lot of very, very small, small group of exceptional production people, uh, um, who worked on that show. And, um, and I kind of carry that idea of, you know, uh, uh, of of this bigger than life. Uh, everything has to be exceptional. Everything has to be. You can't see any of the behind the scenes or the the strings or the man behind the curtain. I want it always to be very perfect. And it's the same. That's the same concept that, you know, I I, I was taught in making 
or being part of productions like that, that, um, that created my own standard of where I want everyone else to be with me, meaning production people and what the presentation is. And, and so, so it, it created, and it started really, really early for me. I, I, I especially if I were doing live uh, production events, I, always wanted it to be the next one had to be bigger than the than the one before and uh and you know sometimes it's really difficult to do because these things can be very technically challenging and um but it it is it is created a a standard that obviously that people know me for and and um it is created uh an environment around me where um you know it it all all boats rise on the tide so everybody has to be prepared to go a little crazy for a while uh, you know while i you know try to you know pull and work all those things together and it's a, a identical in a film uh uh we we attack it the entire entirely the same way and you work with yamaha when did that uh, association start and what have you done with them since starting with yamaha yeah, so I uh, I was actually an endorsed artist right after the Civil War, uh, <laughs> you know, back in back in the day, and um, after um, when my my agreements kind of ran out, and I uh, kind of wasn't really sure even if I was going to stay in this business because I was just really kind of burnt out in it very very quickly. A lot a lot had happened, and I was very very young. Uh, um, uh, they called me up and said, you know, would you be interested in making introductions to people that you work with? And so um, I consulted f for them uh, for about three years. And then I and then I went to, you know, um, uh, permanently work for them. And, uh, you know, I have a very, very unique relationship um, with them. I, I I have a big lofty title that I don't need to share with anybody at this moment but you know i i i'm i grew the artist roster um uh, and my my group you know worked very hard at you know kind of reinventing uh all of these relationships between talent and and you know the company but then um about 12 years ago i made an active decision that i wanted to go back to much more of the creative side of of who i was and um and they allowed me to form the um film and and record group um here in um the united states and so that gave me the i guess kind of the the license to go back to being who I was before I started really being serious about being, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, just focused on, you know, the artist program at Yamaha. The exceptional uh, thing about my relationship with Yamaha is that they uh, trust me explicitly. And for years, and now 28 years that I've worked for them, um, they just say, hey, um, you know, what do you think you want to do about this? And then I'll just disappear for a while, come back and give them what they want. And and um, whether it's, you know, like, for example, they funded this film and uh, my boss who greenlit this film, knowing that how um, 
you know, knowing how uh, much of a conversation this film was going to create, because it's not about our company. Uh, we share the values. Uh, our company shares the values of what's in the film. It's it, but it's not a brand film in any way. And he didn't see it until it was finished. And uh, I just would say, well, I'm working on this, and I, blah blah blah. And it was very very little information, but that's the level of trust that uh, you know that exists there, and the level of um, autonomy that they allow my group to go and just do what we do, um, especially as creative. So it it's an extraordinary very extraordinary, very unique, um, um, beautiful relationship. And that's why I'm still there because uh, uh, it's not a job. It's just my life. That's pretty amazing to have that kind of creative latitude and someone who believes in what you're doing enough to just let you run wild with it, which takes me to yeah. Sound of Us because it's, it's a beautiful movie. What was the genesis of making the movie? How did the idea come to you and what was it born from? Uh, so the the genesis of the movie was, you know, what we've been going through in the last, you know, well, now almost two years. My youngest daughter has a uh, immune, very, very compromised immune system. And, and so we deep uh, quarantined. I don't think I left the house uh, for about five months. I mean, I went outside, but I didn't go very far. And, you know, we were just, it, everything was extreme. And within that, you know, um, honestly, I, I, I was not a political person. I keep telling everybody, I'm just kind of not, but it, the, the, we, I just kind of got stuck in watching common sense go out the window, decency go out the window, humanity, empathy. And I just watched our, you know, us as humans, um, you know, falling apart, in my opinion, and really rolling backward. And I saw so much hate, and I saw so much division, um, that I literally would just doom scroll uh, the news all the time, and I'm just waiting for any kind of good news, you know, and uh, one night I was uh, sitting at my computer at, at the kitchen table and my 11 year old son was just like, what are you doing? And I just said, nah, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rough world, you know, and I don't, honestly, I don't want my children to live in this. And, and, um, and he said to me, uh, he was like, why are you so angry? And I just said, you know, uh, there's a lot going on in this world. And, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, um, dad you're a storyteller you're a filmmaker you've have, you have you said do you have something to say and i said maybe i do and and so that really kind of kicked the idea into motion as to how we were were going to assemble what this was going to look like and that was in the summer and and then uh um honestly speaking uh um the NAM convention, which is a, you, you probably are familiar with that. That's a, a big convention that happens in Anaheim, California. I, I typically every year produce a large for, or a series of large format concerts for, for, for our company. Um, and, and uh, every year. And so we knew it was going to be virtual this, this year. And so uh, they, my boss again, in he, he said, it started with this conversation, which was now in September. I started writing the film uh, in July, and um, and he said um, he said, "Listen, let's just do like a two-hour concert, and you know, we'll get have Elton and all these 
these folks and 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 I said to I said to him, well, let me pitch this idea instead because you know we're we're all pandemic out you know nobody wants to see a concert anymore especially on Facebook and me personally I just had to sh start shutting people down because I I, I couldn't. I couldn't absorb their pain and mine at the same time. And, you know, and, and so, so I, I pitched him the idea of the film and he was like, well, let me get this straight. Not going to be about Yamaha. No, not going to have any big artists in it. No, not get, you know, uh, there's not gonna be any product in it. No, it's <laughs> going to be about who we are, you know, who we really are. And, and he goes, okay, go for it. And we didn't talk about it again for months. And, and so we had to deliver, uh a version of the film completed we started principal filming on the 9th of uh, sorry the 3rd of november and we had to deliver the whole film by the 22nd of january so that and through covid through um through uh the holidays and as you know in the music business nobody's around and you know <laughs> during the holidays and you know it, it starts right about you know a week before thanksgiving and ends up you know people come back to life or you know the first or second week of January. So we had a lot of ground to cover. And, and, and so that's, you know, that's pretty much how it all came together. What were some of the challenges of filming during COVID and did those challenges change the trajectory of the film in any way? And what, you know, what the message was or how you were going to go about telling that message, I should say. COVID made the film that we have, uh, you know, Honestly speaking, like I started thinking, okay, well, what, what's it look like to, what, what does it look like if I call up Elton and a bunch of, you know, my, my big star friends and, and, and have them in the film? And right away, I mean, it was probably the first week we actually started really physically working, uh, not writing, but, you know, like producing the film. Uh, um, I realized that two things immediately. One, it was just going to be too difficult to maneuver big stars within COVID into the film. And two, it would take uh, the the truth away that the, is inside of the film, that that's at the heart of the film. I didn't want it to be about the distraction of a big celebrity being in the film. There's there's a few in there, but they're very specifically there for a reason because what they contribute as humans out in the world through music. And so I um we immediately got off of that and focused on, you know, on on you know really kind of the underdog and 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 the unknown and and really kind of projecting that. But you know, we had shoots we had sets be shut down because of COVID, the minute we started filming, we had artists who had COVID and we and they never knew it. We had exposures all over the place. Lucky, you know, enough. Knock on wood. Uh, you know, no, no one on on the production crew. Um, oh no, I take it. I take it back. Uh, one of our guys did, but I, somehow we missed it. And he was in he was in Minneapolis anyway. So we 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 kind of got we kind of got lucky and we got we got through that. But. Um, uh, it just, you know, if we went to turn left, it would turn us right. If we went to go up, it would it would push, pull us down. And so we had about 30 stories that we wanted to tell. Uh, and when we started narrowing those down and, and honestly speaking, COVID did most of the work for us. And and um, and it also uh, um, helped us to 
really kind of defined the film so sharply as it is because it made up its mind who we were going to be able to you know who the, the stories we were going to be able to tell or not tell so those stories got whittled down but a lot of it was because people didn't want to be exposed they didn't want cameras in their homes uh the, you know all, all those things and covid really drove um you know really drove uh um where the story you know how the story ended up being told altogether so in your own words what is the movie about because there are these vignettes and there is obviously an underlying theme of unity. But I wanted to hear from you when you started putting this together, what did you envision for the film and how would you describe what it's about? Uh, what the film is about is it is about the inherent good in all of us through music. It is about this thing that we all share at, you know, at, a, at a genetic level uh, that we really can't explain. Uh, um, it is about this inherent good that we all share through music. It, it, is, it is about how we're able to tell the truth about who we really are through music and only music allows that. And so that's what we explore. You know, it, it, a lot of people are, start seeing it and think, oh, is this like a planet Earth thing? It's really ethereal and blah, blah, blah. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to prove to the viewer that we are just inherently good when music is with us. And we don't know why. I mean, science, science, science tries to define it, but I'm, you know, as you saw in the film, I don't let science define the film. You know, what I let happen in the film is music proves the point and by the time you get down to the very last you know uh the very last you know the closeout of of, of you know of the, of the film you know you're beaten up so badly by it that you know the the you've got nowhere to go especially the last the last hour is so brutal but it's designed it's designed by music it, it what what happens is the stories are of you, you know amazing people doing amazing things for others through music music is the main character of the entire film you just don't really realize that until you get to the very end and you've you've, you've just beat up and so it's very very simple it, it it is it is it is the film is about the the goodness of who we are inherently through music period well you know i, I Throughout the film, I was thinking to myself that, yes, music is the main character, and it's almost as if music is the partner in the relationship with all these people, and the music is driving the story and um, unifying and bringing joy or uh, the, uh, pr promoting the good, like you're saying, um, but they're very, very different stories. And one of them, pianist Francesco Latoro, who was the Italian, he dedicated his life to finding and resurrecting songs written in World War II concentration camps. And I thought that was so interesting because it's just such a small piece of the world, yet it's his life's work and life's passion. And he is devoting his life to um, bringing these, these songs, uh, recording these songs and making sure that they're, they're there for posterity. And, uh, where did you discover him, for example, um, 
I, I just thought that was such an interesting story. So one of the producers, uh, Sarah Bockler, uh, uh, we would have these production meetings every single day. And, and I originally said to the producers, go out and find me stories of, of exceptional people. And so Sarah brought this to me and um, 60 Minutes had actually done a, um, a piece on him, I did a piece on him. And, and uh, uh, so I was pretty moved by uh, Francesco's work. I was pretty moved by the dedication uh, of 35 years of, of doing this and, and, you know, and, and living honestly in so much heartache, uh, you know, um, music was still a very big part of, uh, you know, of those worlds, especially in concentration camps. And, you know, uh, you know, they, you know, these people were in horrible, horrible conditions and, 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 you know, used music as a vehicle to make other people feel good and for them to feel good. And I can't even imagine that, but I, you know, when I deep dive in my head about something that I am so moved by, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I just can feel that level of, of horror. I, you know, I know nothing about it, but again, through music, I'm, there's a connection. I feel the connection of sorrow and I feel the connection of empathy. And, and, um, so, um, I fell madly in love with Francesco and, um, you know, the, you know, uh, Sarah, one of the producers and another one, uh, another producer named, uh, Jalissa Gaucho call, called them up and said, you know, can we, Chris is making this film and w w he's very interested in wanting to, you know, have you in it. And, and so, um, his managers were beautiful, beautiful people. And, you know, they've, uh, you know, I think they, they kind of checked out my work and, and, you know, and then, uh, said that they wanted to be part of it. And, um, and so, um, we started having these meetings, these Skype meetings or zoom meetings, whatever. And, and we just kind of got to know each other. He's just this, you know, he's just this madman genius, uh, you know, who's been running around all over the world and, uh, you know, doing all of this work. And so I, it was, it was absolute requirement for me to make sure that I honored the work that he's doing, you know, in, in that segment. And, and so it was a massive deep dive for me to create that segment along with the other um, producers and, um, and then to honor it by make sh making sure the voyage you went on in that segment was a big one, uh, especially score wise, because I had in mind, you know, as in the film, you know, it, uh, a lot of the story is about this little boy who kept this song in his head for 74 years and, and sang it only to Francesco, didn't, not to his kids, not, you know, and one of his kids is a pretty uh, famous composer. Uh, um, uh, not to his wife, didn't he just kept it to himself and then learned about Francesco. And then when he just happened to be in Rome, he popped over and 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 sang it to him. And um, I wanted to take that those 16 bars and just celebrate those 16 bars into this gigantic, you know, piece of music. And, um, and so that's how it came together. You know, when we when we when we 
saw the first edit and actually actually that was the first edit of the entire film we saw completed uh you know we there was about 10 of us in the room we just all were just bawling like you know like babies holding on to each other because we knew what we had was so special and um and francesco is a dear dear man who um i i am grateful i had the honor to be able to you know to work with him and to be able to tell his story well, as a viewer, I, I was deeply saddened by the, the whole story, but there was a, a moment of, of hope at the end and joy yeah. that these stories were going to live on. And uh, so whatever you did in that piece, it was, it was so moving. I have to say it was just very moving and I was so touched mm -hmm. by it. And, you know, one of the other things I was uh, watching, listening through the entire film and there are all these different vignettes and they're very different. And the subject matter is very different. Everything from, like you said, high school band members that get back together to a, a school for music to some, pe some people who are writing about the, uh, the George Floyd experience and um, Amazing Grace and obviously an Italian composer. And uh, so how did you score something like that to keep that underlying music that's behind the scenes moving forward and, and continuing through the entire film, but through different segments. You know, the, the, the film is very episodical and, uh, and it is, it's designed to be a series. Uh, um, we knew kind of very early that, you know, you know, if I focused on one character, uh, um, it wouldn't have the same depth. I, I I just I wanted to you know I wanted to chop it up this way. The 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 um, the best way for me to describe it is you know I wrote a whole pile of different vignette pieces for for the film. I wrote a a main theme uh, that's used in three or four of the of the vignettes. Uh, um, but they change, they, they develop differently or they have different bridges or they have, you know, they have a different climatic moment. And, and, and so I, you know, honestly, um, because I'm not a very disciplined, you know, writer, I, I don't really have any kind of uniform, uh, set structure. So I, I, Honestly speaking to me, I one, one of the one of the things that I uh, have a great advantage of is I as a director, I know how I'm going to have it shot because I already have the music in my head or I've been tinkering with a piece of music that very, very specifically is going to um, make the make the filming way easier. Uh, or the editors really mad at me. So, um, you know, because we will shoot something and then I will write something for it and I will fall in love or I'll be really, you know, I'll go fishing, you know, to, f to see what I come up with creatively. And then all of a sudden it changes the entire mood or the entire way we're editing the film. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I would say, re-edit and you know here you go fellas sorry about that you know here's the music and you know and this is how i want it to be reshot so you know um that causes complications uh, um um in the francesco piece uh, as i was saying a little bit earlier um that piece of music um had to be big and romantic and and dark and 
and and very sorrowful and and if you go back and listen to it is this big huge movement you, you know and a lot of and a, believe it or not i wrote the entire piece of music in about 15 minutes i think it was just it was just typically that doesn't happen typically i will sit for days or sometimes for a month or you know depends on the piece of music that i'm writing to to film um I sat down and started to write it and it's a, it is a big piece of music and and I um, it just kind of all poured out and because I knew specifically I, I needed to get to uh, the little boy singing and that's I wanted that to be a very dramatic reveal and so it's all this gigantic symphonic music that leads you all the way up to I, I wanted to just kind of send you to the cliff and and as francesco starts to talk there's just a tension high string tension line that that just sits for i don't know 5 minutes 4 minutes and and um and then then it starts to as as he's starting to tell the story i wanted the tension line to just kind of you know to just become a lot more texture driven because you know you're going someplace you're going someplace you're going someplace and then it just drops off to the little boy and the singular tension line. I, all I wanted you to pay attention to was the little boy and the words that he was singing, because it, it's 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 tragic, and and we went there as filmmakers. You know, we went there to re-remind the world of how something so beautiful could happen at such a horrible time, and to be a thirteen-year-old little boy living in that world that's all i could i could just a thought about my own boy and 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 then i specifically wanted to celebrate those 16 bars so i took the the the, the exact 16 bars that the boy sang and then we we turned it into a massive celebration of the very same music same melodic theme and then and then super celebrated it you know uh, you know on, on the way out as we're you know we're talking about you, you know the 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 citadel in barletta italy where all this music is going to be housed um because we wanted to kind of make the statement i wanted to make the statement that you know you 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 may kill a life you you don't you don't really kill a soul and and that and through music that's that's what we all are and 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 so you didn't really you know that although the physical body may be gone that that soul and that spirit is is not and and because of what he does you know i wanted to i wanted to really drive that idea home well what really struck me is that struck me was that uh, it's a movie about music and the beauty and the unity and the good and music and how that affects people told through these vignettes that are also about music, but in a variety of different ways. And then scored by yet another, uh, almost another storyline of music in the background that's taking you through this entire movie. So there were, you know, as a, as a viewer, I felt like there were three layers to this film. And like you said, music being the, the, the main character of the film, if you want to look at it like that. But uh, but there were definitely multiple layers to it. And I just thought it was beautifully done. 
you know, and there were a few famous people in the film, and but that wasn't really the focus of the film. I mean, Sarah McLaughlin, Jason Mraz, Patti Smith um, make appearances in the film. Um, and you said you had specific reasons for choosing them because that wasn't really the focus of the film. Why did you choose those specific artists to be in the film? Sarah and I are dear friends. We have been for forever. And um, she is a remarkably giving person. And she is a remarkably generous person. And 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 um, this industry isn't necessarily full of people like that. And, she, you know, she that's why we're such good friends is because um, I gravitate toward the people I wish I could be like. And and um, and you know, so, cause I have to constantly work on that, you know, that part. And, and um, so I, I, but I needed her to be completely vulnerable and, because I wanted to say to uh, really, it was a kind of a message within our own industry. I wanted to say, it's okay uh, that you are who you are. It's okay. Cause in our industry uh, as entertainment industry, as in most of walks of life, we all cover ourselves up to pretend we're something else, especially entertainers. Uh, um, we we want to be something that people think we are as opposed to what we really are. And I, and I, you know, I had a conversation with her and I said, it's okay to just be what's inside. And I want to show that. And I, you know, I, I want you to trust me that, you know, th this is a very poignant performance and she owned it. The, the, um, she was quite gracious. Um, I wanted to say to women in particular, especially in the industry, especially to young women, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to just be honest and music allows that. And her performance is outstanding and, and so deep and, um, and, you know, and, and she is quite generous and, and the, you know, the, I, 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 it was really important for me to, to just make sure that the messaging was, was brave. And, and, and that's what I think that we, we left it with. Uh, Jason Mraz, same thing. He has a school for inner city kids in San Diego. You know, I, I, I wanted to focus in, the one thing that was critical for me was to tell the truth from the beginning of the film to the end of the film and everyone in it. Um, Patty is this remarkable celestial poet. And um, I, honestly speaking, was a pretty big fan am a pretty big fan of hers and and you know she she's a trailblazer but she is one one wickedly smart woman and what she brought to the film was so deep and 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 so i'm glad we kind of went there we have about 800 hours of interviews uh, that we you know that just you know little we little sound bites here and there you know but she she brought you know quite you know quite a bit of it um to the to the film um avery sunshine who does strange fruit uh um we've worked together previously and we have the ability to have these very very deep connected conversations about race and uh where we are in the world and and um and she has a lot to say about um 
she was a she was a music minister in a church in Atlanta. Uh, um, she kind of left that behind her because um, of various reasons. And and I and I feel like um, again another remarkably poignant moment in the film is is her singing "Strange Fruit." Um, honestly speaking, and and I'm ashamed to say this, I had never heard that song before. And um, again, it was a Sarah Bockler thing. She, we were sitting here and in, in, in this room, as a matter of fact, and, and she said, uh, I want to show you something. And it was a performance by Betty Levette of, um, of Strange Fruit. And I said, what is this song? And she said, it's Strange Fruit. And she started to exp explain it to me. And I said, first of all, I, it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking. And I'm, my heart breaks that I have to listen to this song. My heart breaks that this song had to be written. And so I immediately knew because how I feel about where we are in the world to each other, uh, you know, it, it felt like we were, you know, it felt like that needed to be sung again because, you know, the, you know, the noose is supplanted with, with the knee. And, and, and it's really kind of, you know, it's really kind of understanding that, you know, this, this is not changing and we need to move this along. And music is the thing that, you know, music is the, you know, it's the, it's the great uniter and it's the great, you know, way that we create this empathy toward each other. And, and, um, so, um, I, I asked her about the song and uh, Avery and she said, Oh no, 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 I've, I'm, never sing that song, never. And then the next day she called me up, her and her husband, Dane, and she said, hey, were you asking me if I would sing it on the film? And I said, I absolutely was. And she said, I absolutely will. And I said, I said to her, uh, I said, listen, you have an obligation through music in what you do. Tell the story, tell, tell the story because it needs to be told again. And as you see, it, she's, you know, she, her take on it is blistering and it's big and, um, you know, and she says no more. And, and because, you know, we all who feel, we all feel the same way. And, you know, we, we, we want to see progress and change. And, and we want to believe that as we are getting, you know, as we are getting wiser as humans in this world, that we are getting better as humans in this world. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, the people who are all in it all have some connection to doing some level of, of good in, in, in the world um, through, through music. Well, you did your piece of good with this film. And I have to say, you've already been recognized at the Cannes Film Festival for the Movie That Matters Award. And you also won Best Documentary Feature and Best Director at the Albuquerque Film and Music Experience. And that was just recently. How does that make you feel? Yeah. You know, I intended to make a statement. Like I said, I'm not a political person, but I'm a human. And and uh, I had something, uh, this is, as Sarah refers to it, as my love letter to uh, humanity. Uh, be good to each other. Stop all this, you know. Uh, uh, don't trust uh, uh, extreme things, you know, like, you know, we are better, uh, we're better people and, 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 and we have better in all of us. And, you know, music, 
always proves that to be true, you know, and, and, um, you know, so I had a very, very strong statement. This is very, very different film than, than, you know, kind of the softer things that I've done, you know, previously or the easy things that I have done, because this was very hard and taxing on me to make and, and very hard and taxing on a very small group of filmmakers, uh, you know, to make and um, in such a short period of time. Um, you know, you know, the, the whole film festival thing is interesting for me. Uh, um, the whole the whole time I um, uh, the the last documentary that won a bunch of awards that I made was uh, Nathan East for it was the film was called Nathan East for the record and and uh, it went into the film festival circuit and it won a lot of international film festivals and uh, but it's really just about how the goodness of who Nathan is and our friendship and you know what have you and craziness and 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 really about the process of making his first uh, solo record which was which was um, really a lot of fun to do with him. And, and, um, and I didn't pay attention to the film festival business. This is a very different film and it, it is very personal. And it is a lot about my idea of, of what music is and who we are and our responsibility to each other in it. And so it's significantly personal. And so now I'm paying attention to all the film festivals, you know, I mean, we're in a lot of them, right. But uh, you know, uh, um, I'm honored to win best director and, and best documentary. Uh, you know, we've only, we've only been in uh, less than a handful of them and there's a bu bunch, bunch more coming, but you know, um, I want this film to be taken very seriously. And, and I, I want this film to do well. Um, uh, not particularly for me. I, uh, if the film does well, that means it's resonating out in the world. That means people are seeing it. You know, it's, you're not going to see it just pop up on Netflix and it, under the new releases. Uh, you know, I'm really super, super critical of where it's going to go and live. Um, um, you know, and so we're, you know, we're just kind of just going down this path of like, okay, we're there, the film's being shown, it's being represented, but at the same time, I want it to resonate. And, and so, you know, I'm grateful for the process, but it, 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 it's, it's honestly, it, the award component of it, I don't like really at all. Um, it's like sitting, you know, it's, it, it's like sitting, uh, you know, knowing that you have the biggest, you know, contemporary jazz record uh, of the year uh, and and being nominated and knowing that you're probably going to win because it's always a popularity contest and then you lose it like it's it's a it's a really, really rough. It's rough. I don't know how anybody kind of can take that in stride, you know, it, you, you know, um, you, you know, I, I've been honored with a bunch of Emmys and but I hate going and I hate sitting in an audience and I hate the the build up to it. And I hate, you know, I hate the, the just the process. I, I love the nomination part, uh, you know, because if you actually do the math, it's a lot harder to get nominated than it is to win. It, when you're nominated, you go from thousands of people down to four or five people. And, and, and so I bask in those moments, you know, during between the nomination and, and the award shows, you know, and then I have to slim down for award shows. And, you know, so you get a couple months and, you know, all, all that kind of nonsense. But but I I I hate I hate the process. So I'm I'm what's different, particularly about this film, particularly um, is my DNA is in every single moment uh, of the film. Uh, um, 
you know, I wrote it, I produced it, I directed it, and I composed it, and I edited it, and I narrated, and you know, and then and then I have a, a, a bunch of very very talented, very small group of very dedicated people around me that that you know I owe it to them for this to do as well as it can. So I'm not. I'm. I said earlier, you know, I'm super shy, and and I. I don't like to go to these things. I don't like to go and, you know, have to work a film. I, I, I don't like doing that. I, in, when Nathan's film came out, I went to one film festival and um, uh, because they were honoring Nathan and his entire family and they asked me to speak. And so I, I agreed to, to go and, and do that since he, you know, he let me invade his life for a year and a half while, while, I, made, while I made the film. And, and so, you know, my obligation is to change people's lives. My obligation is to this small, dedicated, beautiful crew who made this film with me. So I just said the first film festival I went to, I just was like, ah, I don't want to, this is the last one. I'm never going to go to another one. And I don't want to be part of, part of it. This is just gross. And, you know, like, you know, and, and at the same time, I mean, you have to also understand, I'm also a producer, right? So, it, right. so I go to these things and I see how they're being programmed, and I'm like, going, no, 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 you, you know, and like I can't give up that that part of me because I I want the film to be set up to be successful because very um, uh, selfishly because uh, I want the film to do well because the message is you know ridiculously you know important um, to me. We've had, I mean, countless people who have seen it, you know, all say the same thing. I, I spent two hours crying. This is, you know, this, the most beautiful thing I've seen. I, you know, like, uh, we've had a lot of film festivals, you know, say a lot of really great things, but not really support it. And, and, and when you're up on an independent film like this, and nobody really knows who I am, and then you're up against major studio films and they're spending millions on, you know, on making sure that they're seen and known. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a process and it's quite frustrating, but, uh, you know, um, we're just, yeah, I'm there because I, you know, I'm, like I said, because of my obligation. Well, I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Chris, for making this just beautiful, extraordinary film. Um, it, I can't wait for as many people as can to see it. Thank you for joining us today and talking to us about the sound of us. And we wish you the best of luck and can't wait to see you down the line. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I very much so enjoyed talking with you, and I'm grateful for you having me on your show. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris Garrow. To learn more about Chris and what he's up to, be sure to connect with him on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual stops. And remember, you can visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.